Hi, welcome to the Set Python Girls Club podcast. I'm your host, Luciana. And I'm your co-host, Kimadalyn. Let's get going. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Sad Python Girls Club podcast. Hi, Luciana. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Today's a sunny day, but also today we're having Karthik as our guest. Hi, Karthik. Hello. Karthik, not a illustrious team lead on the Python extension for VS Code. Would you mind introducing yourself? Sure. Karthik Nadig. I started on this team sometime in 2019, October, I think. Uh, as a lead. Uh, and since then, uh, we have been working on the extension and it's been an experiment in being the ship of Theseus. The what? Uh, ship of Theseus. It's a thought experiment where there is a ship and if you take each and every part of that ship and replace it with new materials and new things, and at the end of the day, every part of that ship was uh, a new piece, is it the same ship of Theseus or is it a new ship of Theseus? It's the same thing with the Python extension, right? So we have been rewriting everything since I joined pretty much. And then now is it the same extension that Don wrote or is this a different extension? That's very philosophical. What do you think? I think it's some of both. Like there is, there is, no, there is no one answer to the ship of Theseus question. It's just philosophically, you know, it doesn't feel the same, but it is still the same kind of a thing. But, you know, in two and a half years, we have pretty much done quite a bit of work on it. And it has been exciting. Like, it was pretty much similar experience I had when I worked on uh, DebugPy, which was previously PTVSD. It started off with some however it was. And then uh, I took on the lead role there. And then, you know, over time, it's now a completely different thing. But it still does the same set of things. So that that's that's where I was coming from with the ship of Theseus thing. So debug by it's the debugger bits and pieces for the Python extension for VS Code and for Visual Studio, right? Yes, it's also used in a bunch of other places by other companies as well. But yes, it's it's essentially a, a debugger that implements something called the debug adapter protocol, uh, which makes it, uh, think about it like a debugger with a much more stable and general purpose API that anyone can use to communicate with. It doesn't have to be just VS Code or Visual Studio. Any client that can adhere to the debug adapter protocol can work with DebugPy. I had no idea it was just outside of our Microsoft tools, really. So, like, we worked with the Jupyter team a while ago to get this uh, working inside Jupyter. So now I think uh, one of the flavors of this, I think, Jupyter Lab or something like that uses that. Do people sometimes like write to you or to the debug by team reporting bugs like outside of GitHub issues? Usually people come directly to the GitHub repo and post the questions there because uh, uh, we have a PyPI project, right? So there is link to the repository in there. So people usually find that and just report it there. I see, I see. So you mentioned you joined the team in October 2019. I remember that a lot, but you were also part of the Python tool scene before, like you mentioned, working with the debugger, right? So how long did you work on the debugger? Overall, in the devdiv org, I think it's been somewhere around six years that I've been on, on this. I originally started on R and... I was working on the R debugger and the R remote execution uh, implementation. 
and then after after we moved away from R, I started on the debugger. I think it was late 2017, like December or early 2018 is when I started working on the debugger. And at the time, it was PTVSD. Actually, the way it happened was I was not really supposed to work on the debugger. I was uh, supposed to work on PTVS, but it looked like uh, there was a lot of work that had to be done to get the debugger up to speed on the debug adapter protocol. Back then, I actually did not know any Python. It was like I had to jump into working in uh, DebugPy as my first thing. So the interesting thing is most of my experience at Microsoft has been working on some sort of debugger related stuff in one way or the other. Are there any common like patterns or common trends that you see in working on debuggers? There is common trends in general. The first project that I worked on when I joined Microsoft was uh, asynchronous debugging support. So uh, what that means is that when you're using asynchronous APIs, often there is no complete call stack. That is, uh, you may not be able to access everything. If some asynchronous operation was scheduled on a thread pool, thread pool will run that thing at some point, and you may not have the complete stack of who originally scheduled that item and where that, like all that connection. So what I had written was a a way to come up with and map all of these uh, various async operations so that you could track everything from, hey, this particular async operation was actually called from this particular location and that particular async operation was called by this some other thing. So you could essentially construct the whole stack and you could construct this stack across processes. Like if you had a cross-process async request and if you had the crash dump from all the processes, you could essentially rebuild the call stack from the whole set of processes that failed. So that was the first thing that I built. Uh, And then along with that, then I had built a bunch of uh, extensions to the C debugger to work better with COM. COM is the component object model that uh, Windows works on. And then later I did a bunch of few other things. But then when I came to R, it was again back to writing a debugger for yet another programming language. And then I switched to Python and then that was yet another programming language and a debugger. It's been going along like that. Debuggers are like a, a pet project thing. And as for the common pattern, one of the interesting things is it looks like almost all languages have pretty much a similar way of working with debugger. Essentially, there will be an API in the language uh, framework that allows you to register something that you can work as a debugger. And it gets called every time anything happens in that language or framework. And you will get some information on what is happening. And based on that, you make your decision. So like when I say what is happening is like, hey, this is a new instruction that's being run, or this is a new line that is being executed, or an exception was hit at this point in time. So something like that. So you'll receive events and pretty much every language will have one or the flavor of that. And then in your handler, you deal with it pretty much the same way in almost every language with minor differences to things like threading and process management and things like that that can happen uh, with uh, different frameworks, but kind of falls into that same area. So when you joined Python team to work on the Python debugger at PTVSD. You did work on the transition from PTVSD to DebugPy. Can you talk a little bit about the motivations for that transition and what are the main differences between the two of them? 
Yes, that was my doing entirely, by the way. Um, so what happens with PTBSD is that it's a completely in-process debugger. What that means is when you want to use PTBSD, it is completely injected into the user process and its lifetime is now tied to user process. That is, if the user decides to kill the process, it also kills the debugger. The problem with that was multi-process debugging. Let's just say that you had a bunch of processes and you wanted to have debugging support in all of those processes. That is, let's just say that user started process one, the process one started another process underneath it as a sub-process. Now, what would happen is uh, there was a lifetime management problem in the sense that if the parent process died, we would lose the connection from VS Code or any IDE to the debugger. And if the child process died, then it was a sudden snap in the connection being broken between the child and the parent. And we had to figure out whether it crashed or whether it was actually closed or whether it actually exited fine. It was really difficult to understand what was happening, especially in those kinds of scenarios. So what we did with debug bio is that the engine inside is pretty much the same as PTBSD. That is, whatever is, gets injected into the process is pretty much the same. But whenever you either launch the debugger or inject the debugger into a process, it starts something called the adapter. So it's a separate process that is triggered and started the moment you say import debug pi and debug pi listen or debug pi connect, it starts that process. And that process essentially now is the one that the IDE communicates with. So this way, what would happen is even if the user process was closed or like force killed or whatever happens, we still know the adapter process can monitor that and can tell IDE, hey, the process has exited and this is why it exited. And we are able to communicate that better. We are able to handle a few other scenarios a little bit better by dealing with it like that. In the sense, we don't know, we don't have to manage multiple connections. The adapter process handles connecting with the sub-processes that as and when they get created. And even if the parent process was killed and if there are detached processes and things like that, they're all handled independently and neatly without trying to handle everything inside something that is already shutting down. So that's was the main motivation to transition from the PTVSD kind of world to the debug pie kind of world. Got it. Is this one of the things that enable us to do live reload for web apps? So debug by is not really special in that, but there are some aspects of it that made it better. So in the PTVSD scenario, as long as the parent process was alive, even if the sub-processes had to be reloaded in, in the reload scenario, it would work okay. But the more important thing was uh, in some systems, even the parent process would reload or had to be reloaded. Those are the cases where debug pi fares better than uh, PDVSD. Interestingly, we uh, we have few more things that are a little bit better now with debug pi in the sense that we now support like general purpose reloading, which was not possible with PDVSD. That's a good point. I feel we haven't announced that more broadly other than our release notes. There is a configuration where you can enable code reload in your launch JSON in VS Code, right? That's correct. What are other features like that that you believe a lot of people may not know and would be super cool if they tried it out with the bug pie? My most favorite one is the jump to line. 
Yeah, that's my favorite too. It's jump to cursor on the context menu. So if you right click when you're in the debug session, if you right click on the next line you want to execute, whether it's in lines previous to the, the line where the breakpoint is, or even after, you can right click, there's the jump to cursor, and then this sets the next statement that the debugger will execute. It's my ultimate favorite feature as well. As long as it is in the same block, it'll work fine. If you go out of a block, that's where it'll run into some problem. I actually didn't know why we did the shift from PTVSD to DebugPy. So I was just sitting there learning. And then I don't use jump to cursor often. So thank you. Thank you for the refresher, Luciana and Karthik. I would like to go back to what you were saying in the beginning, Karthi, for the ship of Theseus and replacing all the bits and pieces of the Python extension and also breaking the extension apart because you've been working on the black extension like for the black formatter and also Pylint. Uh, I don't remember if there was also autopivate or was it Flakate. Anyway, can you tell us a little bit more about that? So one of my goals is uh, to get the community to contribute more extensions. And the idea behind this was uh, we wanted to get a template for writing extension because a big chunk of writing an extension for VS Code requires some knowledge of TypeScript. And I wanted to create a template that allows people to write mostly code in Python and the lifting that needs to be done to get the connection between uh, VS Code and Python happen would be inside a template and you would not have to worry about that. So the work that I'm trying to do with getting all of these templates out, getting some of these extensions out for Black Formatter or PyLint or iSort is that I was experimenting with how that template works in different scenarios. And I wanted to test it live with a real project and a real Python tool to see whether the benefits that we get from it are as good as we were thinking about it. So with this template, people will be able to write an extension for their favorite tools. It doesn't have to be one tool. Like it doesn't mean like if you want to combine a formatter and a linter together, you can. So the template doesn't restrict you from doing that. And uh, you can pretty much write most of the language features entirely using the language server protocol. Underneath, the template uses language server protocol as a way to communicate between the TypeScript part and the Python part. So as long as an IDE can support language server protocol, you should be able to just take the Python bits from this template out and literally like plop it into another project and be able to communicate with it and have it work. So my goal essentially is to improve the extension ecosystem for Python by allowing people to contribute more extensions for their favorite tools without having to depend on us to write everything to make this happen. So people will be able to also have like a very customized experience in VS Code by downloading the extension for whichever formatter or linter or tool that they like. How do you foresee the beginner experience? Like let's say you download VS Code for the first time, you want to edit your first Python script, but then you're like, you have a gazillion extensions to choose from. So how does the beginner experience fit in all that? So one of the things that we plan on doing 
or one of the things that we have seen is whenever people start with Python, they start looking at things like, oh, to do formatting, we'll need a black formatter or an auto-prepaid formatter or something. And we have seen is that people start looking for it in the extensions view and try to find it. Sometimes people try to install it directly, but more often we have looked at people trying to find that. So that's one way of getting it. The other way would be that when people start doing things, we are going to show notifications or, you know, if the user walk through, we will walk them through the various steps of working with a Python uh, script. At least initially, what we are going to do is wherever we used to trigger the particular tool in our current extension, we are going to say that, hey, you can go get this here. Because currently we would install it into their environment and sometimes people didn't like that something was getting installed and they didn't know what was happening. With these extensions, you don't have to install anything in your environment because they ship with their own contained copy of these tools. So there are like these three kinds of ways that we are looking at, you know, getting people more used to the tools without it being a steeper learning curve for them to figure out what they are. There's a lot of work ongoing and discussions ongoing in the VS Code team as well to improve the suggestions for extensions and make things more discoverable at the same time as we don't annoy users too much with a lot of notifications. I think there will be a lot of collaboration there as well so we can find out how to make these extensions even more discoverable for people. It's funny, Luciana, because when Karthik said, we've seen that a lot of users try to look for a format in the extension view. I was thinking of you and your user studies where, well, you would see actually people do that. Exactly. A lot of user studies, we had people who are new to VS Code, and the moment they learn about the extensions view, they would go there to install everything that they needed. So this change that we're doing is not just good for the performance, reliability, and the community contributions. These are all great wins, but also the user experience is a huge win, especially not having to install those tools in your environment. It's really exciting. You can also think about it like if you're a company and you're like, oh, we want certain kind of code control or the code quality to be a certain way for us. Then you can create an extension. You can set the defaults for all of the linting, formatting, whatever that you want in that extension. And you can tell your team to be like, hey, use this to do your thing. Or you can use our extension and you can say that, hey, this is the configuration setting you have to use. You have flexibility in how you want to achieve that. Uh, that's what I wanted to get at is that you could build one extension that kind of has everything in it and say that, hey, this is what we are going to use for everything. Or you can say, hey, we allow you the freedom to use whichever one you want and you can configure it this way. What I'm saying is that it kind of covers a spectrum of scenarios rather than saying that this is how we want it to be. Makes sense. Now for the big question, when are these templates going to be available? Are they already available since there are already extensions out? So I am currently working on getting them up on a repo. So we have a repo. It has nothing in it right now. I'm pretty much in the final stages of getting the template ready enough that people can start using it. One of the things that I have to do right now is write down a clear set of instructions on how to consume the template because of the fact that there are lots of uh, moving pieces. I want to try and reduce the amount of work that people have to do to get their favorite tool up and running. 
it's been a process of testing the template out with a new tool and see how much work someone has to do to get it to work and then see where I need to tweak and that's what I'm working on. I'm hoping I'll have it done and of course Luciana is going to post about it in her blog. Our blog, correct. I was going to just say that. Whenever this is out, stay tuned. We will post on our release blog post. I will leave the link on the notes of these episodes so you can all keep checking to see whenever this is out. All right. Well, thank you. Excited to see that coming up. Something we did not mention earlier, though, is that, Karthik, you are also a master at dad jokes. Do you have one for us today? Yeah, of course I do. Yay! <laughs> all right. What do snowmen do in their spare time? They melt? What? They just chill. <laughs> thank you <laughs> that was a great one thank you Kirthi. this is kind of the opposite mood of my next question but i'm just gonna move on anyway all right Kirthi, we're gonna do a 180 in terms of mood and now it is time for the sad python girls questions for you so the first question is what is your favorite sad song to go with your favorite sad dad joke Oh, for me? Uh, oh, my goodness. Uh, it, do you know Prodigy? The word? The band? <laughs> no, no, the, the band, the Prodigy. This is where I say no. <laughs> me too. <laughs> so, uh, a fire starter by the Prodigy was something that I used to listen to when I was sad and upset. It doesn't mean anything, but that's what I used to uh, listen to. Then, um, like songs from Evanescence, one of my other favorites was pretty sure it's a lot of people's favorite one was the Feel Good Ink from uh, by the Gorillas. Feel Good Ink is good. Evanescence, I know the name. Bring Me to Life was a very formative song in my when I was younger. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, Amy Lee. Yeah. Oh man, her voice is like incredible. But I'm more of a very positive song kind of a person. And I uh, listen to more instrumental than anything that involves uh, people's voices. Mostly because whenever I'm coding or doing something, whenever I hear someone, then my mind will be like, I need to pay attention to them, what they're saying. So like instrumental songs are more where I used to listen to because it would help me focus on the thing that I'm doing rather than focus on someone's voice. How polite and considerate. I love that. So the next question is, what is your favorite ice cream flavor to eat as you listen to your sad or happy songs? All right. I have two. And they, they change based on uh, like what flavor I'm liking. One is really cliche, Klondike. I really love Klondike first. It's, it's one of my favorite. The second one is uh, watermelon flavored ice cream from Molly Moon's here in uh, greater seattle area they have it like rarely but it's one of my favorite is a sorbet an ice cream like i don't know it's an ice cream shop and they sell it so i'm gonna treat that as ice cream it has no cream in it it must sounds amazing i have to try it never tried a watermelon sorbet before so yeah that's that's my those are my two ones i thought klondike was a game no it's a klondike bar what Klondike is a card game. <laughs> and an ice cream flavor. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna have to look it up. Never mind. 
Yeah, there used to be these ads that said, what can you do for a Klondike bar or something like that. I love that. Okay, Luciana, you do the outro because this is embarrassing. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being with us here today, Karthik, and sharing out your knowledge and experience around debugger, rewriting debuggers, rewriting extensions, rewriting code. We absolutely love having you here. We hope you will come back to another episode some other day. And thank you so much, Kamadeline, for hosting this with me today. Thank you. And that's it. That's it for today's episode for the Sad Python Girls Club podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope to see you again soon. 